seizing yeah. white farmers' land. Right. So basically, the premise of it is this: uh, the white population, or white people rather, make up nine percent of the population in South Africa. You might even call them a minority. Um, <laughs> uh, now, despite this, they own about seventy-one percent of the land in South Africa. So basically it comes down to equality of opportunity versus equality of outcome. And the South African government declared this a travesty of which they would correct by forcibly seizing said farmer's land. So by force, do you mean, okay. So like you, you told me that they were, they were doing somewhat of a somewhat, I use that term very loosely right here of a buyback program. They're giving them what 9% of the land's actual value. Uh, about 10%, yeah. And I'm using that. That's not necessarily the flat rate they're doing across the board, but of the cases I could find, yeah, it's about 10%. So there was, for example, one of the larger ones, um, I don't even know how large it was. I guess it would have been pretty large. Uh, his farm was valued at like $13.8 million, which is like 200 million, I think, rands is what they use in South Africa for currency. Um, it was valued at 200 million of those and the government offered him right around 20 million for it. And he tried taking it to court to sort of appeal it saying, Hey, don't take my lamb, please. And if you do, this is kind of horseshit compensation, but the government blocked his trial and just took his land. So by force, do you mean like, like, is it the typical show of force? Like if you say no, they show up with guns and kill you. Yeah, pretty much. I don't think anyone's actually made it to that point yet. It's just kind of been an understanding that, hey, you're going to give this lamb back right about now. Man, that's crazy. And so, like, the funny thing is, like, you can – this all started uh, back in the 70s, correct, with, like, Rhodesia. Right. Now Zimbabwe. Um, it's really crazy because you could draw pretty much an exact parallel. We just haven't made it all the way through the timeline to do it start to finish yet. But – um, in Rhodesia, in 1980, there was a sort of, I guess, redistribution of land, we will call it. Sounds a little nicer than theft. Um, <laughs> and basically, <clears throat> what they did is the same thing. Uh, there were a bunch of white-owned com commercial farms in Zimbabwe, and business was actually kind of booming for them, uh, the country as a whole sort of on the back of the industry brought by this commercial farming because that was pretty much the crux of their economy, sort of like how Venezuela's was crude oil that was owned by the government. This was, you know, this was just the primary mainstay and how they generated tax revenue and such, and more importantly, food. Um, but yeah, at, right before this redistribution, there were 4,500 white commercial farmers. As of today, there are 300, to put this into perspective, um, and I talk about it being fairly industrious. They actually had a huge tea and coffee industry. There were over 500 or yeah, there were like 500 coffee companies and a similar amount of tea companies. It was almost a thousand different companies just in coffee and tea. Um, as of today, there are three <laughs> because basically what will happen, uh, this is just my speculation on it, but I imagine that, you know, these companies, these international farms and whatnot, 
or I imagine a lot of them are contracted out internationally. I'm not entirely sure how the process works, but farms in general, just business. Once they see that the property can just kind of be seized at will, I imagine a lot of them think, hmm, it probably wouldn't be a worthwhile investment to set up shop here. Let's go somewhere else. So, you know, predictably what happened is a huge economic collapse. Um, There was a ton of famine that, that sort of preceded that to the point where Mugabe basically begged Western nations for food aid. After and, they, after they like brought upon their own on like after they brought upon their own famine. Yeah. And it's kind of ridiculous really, because like I said, they were on the up and up before this redistribution. And you know, there was a war right before where tensions were pretty high, but Right before all that, they had established a pretty good education system relative to, you know, the rest of Africa, especially, but even rivaling a lot of Western countries, maybe not quite as good, but it was on the crux of getting there. You know, uh, Rome wasn't built in the day, certainly. Um, So literacy and things of that nature improved for all people, regardless of racial makeup or gender or things like that. Uh, And the racial segregation within the country was being pretty well dismantled slowly but surely suffrage was being really steadily introduced now and then you know even diseases and things malaria was eradicated sleeping sickness also gone um their agricultural production was setting unprecedented highs for itself their life expectancy was going up in the 20 years prior to the war their infant mortality rate had halved Healthcare was being provided in even the remotest communities within the country. But none of that matters to the left. It really doesn't. After the 35 years under Mugabe, we saw the murder of white farmers, food production basically fell off a fucking cliff, and starvation reappeared. Among the things that reappeared, we had malaria, sleeping sickness, and an unemployment rate that currently stands at a whopping 90% in Zimbabwe. Uh, the healthcare system I mentioned before has all but completely disappeared. And to top it all off, do you know what else has seen a return in Zimbabwe? Probably terrorist activity? I don't know. Arguably something worse. Fucking leprosy. Oh, God. Yeah. The currency is now worth so little that the banknotes are routinely used to light fires. And so basically they turned from a forward-looking country with a bright future to a dictatorial socialist state that is a kleptocratic shithole run by a megalomaniacal dick. And if you think that's an exception, you could try the Congo, Kenya, Tanzania, you could try Venezuela. Basically, all of these socialist policies, this is pretty much the end result. You have kids hunting field mice to sell them as delicacies to motorists on the road. <laughs> um, there were people quoted, let's see what that article was from, actually. Let me see if I can pull that back up. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. Maybe it's loading. There was an article, I think it was a Washington Post. I could be wrong. We'll go with the Washington Post, but don't quote me. Is saying... We don't steal anything here because there is nothing left to steal. If that doesn't sum up 
the social and economic collapse that these policies can bring about, especially in an unstable country. Like I think that the more stable your country is, the longer it would take. So like here in America, if we implemented those policies, it would take a lot longer to get to that point. Not saying we would never get to that point, but it would definitely take longer just because we have such an abundance of wealth already in America. Um, like even the general people, like everybody talks about like, oh, the 1%, but God, like if you live in America, like even if you're like low, like even if you're like not even middle class, if you're below the middle class, if you're in the lowest bracket of age earners, you're still in like the top 70% of the entire world. Yeah. Here's the thing. If you have, let's say a thousand dollars, I would implore you if you think America is bad, if you have a thousand dollars, which isn't an insurmountable sum. Go to Zimbabwe right now, and if they don't stab you and steal your thousand dollars, you'll live like a king for at least a decade, I imagine. <laughs> <laughs> and it's just really unfortunate because their definition of a king is the guy that gets to eat all the fat mice. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh. Man. you can't be king of nothing. Yeah, exactly. Listen but to it, that. No. Bobby, you can't be king of nothing, Bobby. You fucked it up. All you fucking socialist fuckhead prick dictators fucked it up. You went in and thought you were going to be the king, and you just, like, fucking, like, lit the world on fire. And you went in there, like, promising all this shit to the people, and you're the only one that fucking has food. All your fucking people are starving now, and you're fucking living like a king, you piece of shits. Like, those are the people that piss me off more than anything. They go in there promising people... Like, oh, everybody's going to be better off for this. And then you're the only one that fucking benefits at the end, and you're a fuck, and I hate you. Yeah. Well, I mean, that just sort of goes back to... That sort of goes back to the argument of why capitalism, while, you know, not a perfect system, is still much, much better than the alternative of more authoritarian alternatives like socialism or, God forbid, communism, which is just kind of a stepping stone from socialism, but still because you know what i hate more you know what i hate more than the uh than the economic policies of socialism and you know communism marxism all that stuff what's that i i hate the cultural element that comes with it it's it's the cult like i i've we've talked about it a lot on the show and we do talk a lot about cultural things on the show it's the cultural marxism that comes along with these movements and it's hilarious it's, it's not, not hilarious, it's not funny, but that's what, I, that's what I hate more, more than the economic policy. Like, you can argue that, you can show examples of it, and people will just, like, they're so fucking, I don't, I don't understand. Like, I've been called a sheep by someone who's a commun, who's like a self-declared communist before, and they called, they called me a sheep. I'm like, like, it, it doesn't even, it doesn't even make sense, the irony there, for one, and then for two, it's just, like, you want it, you're so open these are the people that describe themselves as open-minded and they want everyone to have the best of everything until you disagree with them. And then they, they want to like, like introduce violence against you, which is exactly what you're seeing in these countries. You know, if you're white farmer and you're successful and you're providing jobs and economy growth and stuff into these countries, like they want to kill you. They want to take your land and they want you to leave. And if you don't, they're going to kill you. Yeah, which is really funny because in Mugabe's case, uh, you know, the Grand Emperor of the pile of sticks that is Zimbabwe, um, 
he is quoted as saying, no white person will be allowed to own land in Zimbabwe. Whites will never come back. Uh, that was in 2014. Now, it, the very next year, he begged white farmers to return to Zimbabwe. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck that guy. Like, that's... <laughs> Like I denounce all forms of racism. I hate racism. I think it. I think it's fucking stupid, and that's yeah. I agree. It's the same fucking thing though. Like you can still like right. if that if you don't believe that that's racism, and yeah, you can look at like like I'm sure before the economy started building and stuff there. I'm sure I I I, I would. I'm sure that the colonization did bring about some bad things. I'm sure white people yeah. do some bad shit there. I mean, white people did bad shit here in America. Nobody's denying that to anyone. Like, slavery was bad. We get it. Like, like, yeah, find, that's somebody, like find me one of the fucking seven Nazis in America that, like, actually thinks, or, like, the actual racist, these real KKK well, and the thing, And the thing about it, to, to go back to the slavery thing, again, any one of the right, that was a slave owner, Hey, you kind of cut out. You want to? You want? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? You kind of cut out for a minute. You just uh, kind of read, like, go back to yeah. the beginning. So, you're saying. Um, so back on the topic of slavery, I'm not trying to necessarily, um, I'm not necessarily excusing. I I say necessarily. I'm not. I'm definitely not excusing anything that was done in the name of slavery. What? In terms of, you know, just plantation owners owning slaves, I think that is immoral. I think everyone's on the same page as that. But what a lot of people don't realize is where those slaves came from, which they were sold by their own people, and most of them came to the Western world and the Middle East. And again, comparing culturally the two differences here, we abolished slavery in the U.S. We were a little late to the party in terms of the rest of the Western world, but we we got it done eventually in the mid-1800s. Um, if I remember correctly, though, the Saudis and the rest of the Middle East, it took until the beginning of the 20th century. <laughs> and even then, that was just the government sanctioned stuff. There's still a slave trade in yeah. the Middle East. And today, there's still a slave trade in the Middle East. I mean, yeah. still, I mean, really, if you want to look at it, like it, it's it's fucking te- it's equally as terrible, except it's even more terrible because it's happening like right now. And like obviously the atrocities of slavery happened, but yeah. like, we still have like well, if you a, think about it, we still have like sex trafficking and stuff here in America, and that's I mean right. that's, that's slavery and that shit's fucking dude that's bad shit. And yeah. I hate. No, I agree. That is abysmal. Or uh, that isn't the word I was looking for. That is abhorrent. What is happening in the sex trade? But uh, if you think about it, though. Aren't we the slaves that go work our nine to fives every day for a wage? Why don't we just get everything for free, you fucking sheep? Yeah, you fucking sheep. Why? What, what, how? Why can't we just get stuff for free? Like the government will pay for it. They've got plenty of yeah. money. These rich people have plenty of money. But back to Zimbabwe because I find this timeline really interesting. So, 2014, no whites allowed. 2015, whites, please come back. Then they didn't. The white farmers didn't because it's like, well, you already took our land once. There's no way we can fucking trust you at this point. Right? So 2016, Zimbabwe pleads for one and a half billion in food aid to prevent mass starvation. 
Meanwhile, Robert Mugabe eats giant cake at birthday party in the drought zone. <laughs> I mean, it's just, these are like onion articles, but it's real life. This is how, this is the best that Zimbabwe could come up with to be their leader for what? Probably 35 years now? Nothing. And also, like, off of that, nothing good has ever came from someone being leader of a country for that long. No. There's no, absolutely not. Been any, nothing good comes from someone in power that long. And you always, the only time that ever happens is in these, like, fucking dictatorships. These total in these totalitarian states is the only time that ever happens. So it's already bad, but they introduce it, and then like they get there, and then it, like I mean, literally, like look at it, like that. It, it's such if you cannot see the fucking historical trend of total of totalitarianism and dictatorships, like what always leads to that? Like it's always Marxist ideas that lead to total to like I'm like not every. Okay, like how how can I say this? I don't even I don't even know if it'd be true if I said it. Not every not every Marxist is a total totalitarian, but every totalitarian is a Marxist. I mean, basically. Uh, I don't know if that's necessarily an absolute to speak in, but I do find that the authoritarian nature does lend itself much more to Marxist ideals. I mean, ha- yeah, um, and. Especially in the most atrocious cases. Oh, absolutely. You talk about you talk about the killing of industry due to nationalization of one's economy to the point where it ruins it, and then your money's not worth anything because you for one you didn't even have money to begin with. And you know, here's something um, I find funny, and it, it's something that like like I guess maybe I'm hypocritical of it, like and I think both sides, I think it's a crux on both sides. It's that Okay, like, you talk about segregation, you talk about slavery and all these things, and I'm just like, dude, yeah, that shit was bad, but it happened a long time ago. Like, let's move on past yeah. it. Like, let's work together. But, you know, it's the and, – and, so like, and that's, like, what we say, and, like, that's how we feel about it. But then you look on the other side, it's like fucking – well – like you go back like to just this short amount of time and they think like that that's such a big deal but these are the same people who push for socialism and stuff in a lot of cases and it's like and so like i'm sitting here saying like dude like yeah that that, like that happened let's get past it it was 60 years ago you know or whatever 70 80 years ago however long and uh, and, like you look at like all these marxist totalitarian states like yeah there's still ones that have happened like you look at cuba you look at venezuela you look at the collapse of uh, the soviet union and all these things that have happened more recently but like like, yeah that happened like a while ago like and we're operating on the same timeline still like overlooking other things that happened within the same timeline like using the same argument against them i guess i don't know yeah well to take it back to south africa what do you think is really the what do you think the morality is of a government that can just knock on your door and immediately say we're seizing all of your property we know you're contributing the average farm in south africa feeds 3000 people within it um an interesting stat that i read so we already know that these people are contributing pretty heavily to their own nation whether that be economically or just fucking feeding everybody right so what is the morality, you think, of a government that knocks on these people's doors one day and says, hey, I know what you're doing. It's a good thing, but you can't do it anymore. 
and also you don't own any of this anymore. We're taking it. Um, by the way, here's like a couple bucks. It's only going to get you a tenth of what you had before, and also you're not allowed to buy land here anymore. Please leave. Yeah, I mean, that's not anything. Yeah, I mean, like the. I don't. I wish I. I wish I was more versed on the subject to where I knew the reason that they were kicking out. Like, are they just kicking out the white people because the black people don't like white people? Like, I mean, is that the crux um, of it, or is there really, is there more to it? Um, I'm not sure what the source of the poll was. I know the sample size was about ten thousand people, though but I don't know who perpetrated the poll. But whenever they asked what the biggest issues were in South Africa, redistribution of land only came up on about 1% of the people polled. So you really, so, so, so legitimately that would lend you to thinking that it was just a really like overreach of government within the country. Yeah. Like the people certainly don't want that. And it's not like whites are overrepresenting that they're only 9% of the population. So yeah, when they do poll like every white person in the country. <laughs> yeah, all eight of them. <laughs> um, but no, so it's not like the people want this to happen. It's just another divisive policy brought on by a c- corrupt totalitarian government, and that's really all it amounts itself to. And I almost wonder what good that the leaders of this country think would come out of this. You know, economically, it's not a very viable thing. So you're going to take this land that was run by farmers for hundreds You talk about apartheid and everything else. Most of the land, actually, in South Africa, something I looked up into, it's I think it was like 76% of the farmland, somewhere in there. It was somewhere in the 70s. Uh, percent of the farmland in South Africa was purchased within the last 50 years. So it's not like this is just like a generation upon generation of the oppressor just constantly keeping you down. These are most likely, like I said, commercial farmers who have no ties to any of that. You just hate them because they're white. <laughs> and by you, I mean the government because your own people really don't even care. So not yeah, only like, are you, like, we like to eat. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So not only are you doing something that your people don't really even have much of an opinion on, or at the very least don't believe is a pressing issue you're hurting those very same people by not only making your economy weaker by, I mean, by making your economy weaker, I mean, absolutely tanking it into the ground, by the way, because their currency is not going to be worth anything. Not that it was worth a ton before, but you know, it had its own standing in the world. I mean, was it as strong as a dollar or Euro? No, of course not, but it was still worth something. You know what I mean? Now it's not going to be worth a thing. Your people are going to be starving. You're going to be begging for food aid. And all those commercial farmers you're kicking out are just going to move over to a place that accepts them, like Zambia or something. I'm not too geographically familiar with Africa, so I can't really think of any other neighboring countries if you want to help a brother out. No, I'm, I'm not too familiar with the geography. I know that Africa, I think we talked about it on the show, and like I heard it on Joe Rogan, and I was fucking mind-blown like at how big Africa actually is. Oh, Africa's enormous. It's fucking huge. Yeah. It's like the Alaska of the world. Yeah. <laughs> I, I like Alaska. I like how like I like Alaska how it's like up connected to Canada, but it's America. 
I'd much rather go to Alaska before I went to Africa, if I'm being completely honest. I'll starve to death and get leprosy. Yeah, I know. I like Alaska. I, I've, I've wanted to move to Alaska, like, just, like, not necessarily forever, but to, like, just go work up there or something. I think it'd be cool. Oh, it absolutely would be. I told you I had a great uncle that worked on the oil rigs up there when they were open, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, it was the craziest thing. Uh, dude was... It was really weird because he was one of the most well-tempered people I've ever met in my life. He was just always very cheerful, very calm, very mild-mannered. But he was actually a prisoner of war in Korea. And then after that, he went and worked in the oil fields up there. I think I believe this would have been like the right after the war, early 70s. I'm not entirely sure. But he was on top of an oil rig just doing some kind of maintenance on it. And boom, got struck by lightning and it blew his hand clean off. Holy fuck. Yeah. No, it was crazy. And I say it blew his hand clean off. Really what it did is it ejected out of like two of his fingers. It blew those off, but they had to amputate the rest of his hand in like two and a half, three inches of the forearm where the wrist connected to because it literally just fucking disintegrated all the bone to that point. God. Yeah. No, so he just had a hook for the rest of his life and he was a cool fucking dude. He could work that fucking hook like no other. <laughs> Man, I, like, for one, like, to go work up in Alaska, like, the pay is crazy right now. Like, oh, to go I do imagine. anything in Alaska, like, if you could just go up there and work for, like, like, yeah, the cost of living's a lot more. Like, everything costs a lot more money up there. But, right, like... Everything be imported in. Yeah, but if you could, like, fucking get up there, like, dude, like, welding up there, dude, like, welding on the pipeline up in Alaska and shit, dude, it's, like, 70-plus dollars an hour. <sighs> That's a decent amount of change. And I'm talking like overtime and all, dude. Like I'm talking like crazy money. Yeah. That sounds like pretty crazy money. Like I've considered doing that, but I mean, then you get so like a think, month. So do you think the average welder in Africa has a net worth over or above Zimbabwe's GDP? <laughs> uh, probably above. I'd, I'd like to think it's close. Uh, but on the note of South Africa, another reason why this policy is going to fail. So I said, like I said, you're taking this land that's traditionally farmland that your country actually pretty heavily relies on to feed its people. And you're giving it to the rest of the population, which has a fucking yikes, 37% unemployment rate that has never farmed before. Like, what kind of outcome do you really expect this to achieve? Just on what planet does this policy become successful? Yeah, that'd be like that'd be like literally like if that happened right here, like if me or you, they were like, "Here's a farm, go be a commercial farmer." I'd be like, "The fuck? Yeah. I don't know how to fucking grow crops." Like, yeah. like outside of like, I think that like I think there's a little more to it than uh putting it in the ground and letting it grow. Like, I don't know how to fucking like drive a fucking combine or whatever, or work the machinery. Or, right. Like what to yeah, do? Yeah, no, absolutely. We fail abysmally. And, you know, yeah. maybe over the years we would get to be a little better at it, but by then half our country starved. Yeah, like exactly. Like when it comes to like feeding a country, you don't really have the time to figure shit out. It's like people need food. Yeah, why don't we just leave it to the people who have already figured it out and are pretty good at it? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just blows my mind. 
but again, it just goes just, back like, to the. I'm so well, like I'm just really curious, which I like. I guess I guess we need to research more because you don't seem to know much. Like I mean, other than like the stat that you said, like it didn't come up as a pressing issue in the country. Like I just really want to know the is it is it a racial motivation behind it? Uh, yes, they say it is racially unjust. Uh, the go- these are the government's words, specifically. Uh, whoever the leader in South Africa is, his name escapes me, but his words were, it is racially unjust that white farmers own most of the land. Which, again, you talk in the platitudes of equality of outcome versus equality of opportunity and how disastrous one is compared to the other. It's just, there's no way that it ends well. Like, if you get your country developing and shit, like, you develop, you have to develop your, you have to develop your abundance of opportunity within your country before your fellow countrymen get to that point, which I think that's something, I think that's something important that, like, Zimbabwe, formerly Rhodesia, never got, like, they were going to get to that point. Like, if you allow your country to develop, you will develop abundance of opportunity within your country which is good for everyone absolutely this is literally identity politics taken to the worst possible extreme it could possibly go to because this is beyond like someone giving you a funny look at a gas station or getting pulled over because you drive a nice car these are this is literally people's livelihoods and more importantly, you know, the knowledge of knowing where your next meal is going to come from. from it's, an entire, it's an entire country's livelihood. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, maybe there are some racial issues in America that still need to be addressed. I think those are more, much more on the micro than they are the macro, but a problem nonetheless, I think we would both agree with. But you want to talk about literal systematic racism and oppression to a visible minority within a country – this is a prime fucking example of it. These are people who literally are the backbone of the country in what they contribute. And they're basically told, you don't own anything that you've worked very hard for and strive to achieve. None of that's yours anymore. Get the fuck out. <laughs> I wonder, it blows I, me away. I wonder how the, uh, the parallel you could draw there between the, uh, what were the guys up in like wyoming or whatever that like had the standoff with the government oh never... are you talking about texas no it wasn't texas no i'm not talking about waco it was, okay. it, it was recent up in like the like the public land and like the guy the family grazed their cattle on the public land and they got told they couldn't graze their cattle there anymore or something and the government came to kick them out and literally like the dudes like with fucking like a whole group of dudes with like fucking ARs took over like the state. Con- Dude, this just happened like three or four years ago. Oh yeah. I vaguely looked into that, but I don't know really any of the details. I mean, yeah. See, neither do I. Like I never, like it was too much. Like I never, I guess I don't really understand. Maybe it's cause I don't necessarily understand like the, what uses like public land can be used for and stuff. And, like, they said they couldn't run their cattle through there anymore, but they've ran their cattle through there forever. And, like, literally a group of armed citizens had a standoff with the government. And one, as it went through the court case, they actually ended up winning their court case. But the only reason it got to go through the court case and all, like, if they would, if the government, if they would have just listened to the government, like, it, the right. government was wrong. Like, they were 
legally found wrong. And if they would have just bowed over right then when they knew it was wrong, they, they would lose, they would have lost that privilege of using that land. And right. even though the government was in an unjust position, a group of armed citizens stood up to them and came to the proper. Right. So I think there's definitely a parallel to be drawn there, taking the situation it for what we know it to be. Um, because there was something unjust being done by an overreaching government in that case, and the citizens sort of stood in unity against that. And I think the stakes are much higher in a place like South Africa for something like that that needs to happen like right now, because it's beyond a herd of cattle. You know, I'm sure that was that guy's livelihood, and I'm glad he was surrounded by people who supported him through that and seen the injustice involved in it. I mean, obviously it wasn't just they won their fucking court case. So even in the eyes of the same government that <laughs> was telling him he couldn't, they were like, eh, let's slow this down, guys. But whenever you talk about an overreaching government that's seizing property just because they simply because they can, and more to the point, puts the livelihoods of every citizen in their country at a huge risk of starving. And not only that, you talk about the employment opportunities and things put on by these farms that will most likely all but cease to exist. I'm sure there are a couple that will be successful after this, but it's not going to be nearly enough to feed an entire country, I imagine, well, just based just, on how Zimbabwe's went. And just, like, the amount of, like, the money flow to build infrastructure and such. Yeah, but my point being, now, more than ever, these citizens need to stand up against a corrupt, shitty government that is apparently pretty authoritarian in nature if they're just coming around and... Like, you know, something that might be more relatable for people listening. Imagine if the gov- imagine you own a house, or if you already own your house, it wouldn't be too hard to imagine it. Imagine if, the- imagine if your federal government showed up to your door one day and just said, hey, we want the deed to your house. You don't own this anymore. Your house is worth $200,000 with all the land attached to it. We're going to give you 20 Good luck, champ. <laughs> like, that would be insane. Hey, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta hop off here for just a second. Okay. Uh, my carbon monoxide alarm in my house is going off. Maybe she, I bet she's about. Oh no, she got it. Sometimes if you like, like the carbon monoxide alarms, like if you, uh, if you spray too much aerosol around one, right, like it'll this, set it off. This particular thing, like she's got, like she, she got. We went on a camping trip. And she uh, she got poison sumac all over her ass, which is pretty fucking hilarious. But she's she's got like this spray calamine lotion, and that thing just, dude, I don't know what's in it, but it sets off that carbon monoxide alarm like every time she uses it. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. How do you get poison sumac all over your ass? I'll ask Juhi. <laughs> like, were you all streaking through the forest naked? No, we were. She was. She was running around in her bathing suit down by the river, though. So I'm assuming that's how it happened. Oh, most likely. Because uh. it had to have been sumac, is the thing. Because like she's not allergic to poison ivy. Mm. Yeah. Which, which I mean, it's kind of awesome because she's like, she's like, it because I get poison ivy. Like I get poison ivy every time I go out into nature. Like, I just, like, I, in the summertime, I basically fucking live with poison ivy because I'm going hiking and shit all the time and, like, just fishing down in, like, the fucking brush and all. 
And uh, right. so I basically live with it and I've got used to it. Like that shit doesn't even phase me anymore. Like I don't even put medicine or anything on it. Like I just fucking, I'm like, yep, there it is. And she's like, Hurry oh my God. To get it. <laughs> oh, I'm playing. Just, no, dude, it's such a fucking no, like I just had like I just I've had it for I get it so many times throughout the year that like and I've learned that like you just don't fuck with it and it goes away faster like when you fucking scratch it and itch it and shit it just like becomes all inflamed and like shit oh yeah absolutely so what's another topic we want to talk about well, on the I show think, tonight Is anything- well, I think to segue in like speaking about it's going off again. It just like constantly like it'll you got to turn it off like over and over again. That's funny. Um, I think like segueing in like speaking of overreaching governments, it's kind of the topic you wanted to talk about. Like when has there ever been a time, not in United States history, in the history of mankind, in the history of the world, in the history of civilization and government, that an overreaching government that a government has voluntarily um stepped away from power and made the government smaller and right and the and on the opposite side of that is every time that's happened anytime a government's became smaller it's been through revolution within the country to make the government smaller and it's funny that we like have a revolution in our what i what i'll call quote unquote a revolution in our country of people who want to grow the government like Every time that's happened, it's been so bad. Like, like the only time good shit people have fucking, like, made the government smaller. Right. And there's no way, like you said, there hasn't been a single time in human history whenever the government has voluntarily decreased its size and authority. Uh, pretty much every time you can think of, it ends in a fucking bloodbath before someone blows it all up and starts over at square one. Yeah. Because that's the inherent nature of government is power right that's why we say socialism and communism don't work because they put the entire trust of the ideology working into the inherent complete and unfettered goodness of man specifically men who seek power which corrupts absolute power corrupts absolutely yeah exactly exactly where i was going with that so at that point we could pretty well logically conclude that save for maybe small handful of exceptions and that's on the very optimistic side of it governments by nature will always seek to become more all-encompassing and authoritarian until like i said someone blows it all up to start from square one and that's pretty much regardless of the original ideals of the said government put in place before it became an overreaching monster yeah, because the government had the government started from nothing. So the government started as like like it start like it's it's like that cycle. It's like you look in America. We had an overreaching government here in America. We had a revolution. We had a war, and we we became our own country. And like we started that based on the complete and total opposite principles of the other government. And I think that that could be a theme among other governments. Like, it's like, okay, like let's just try freedom and see how that works. Like that seems to be what the people want after all this bullshit. And then like, it's like an endless vicious fucking cycle. Right. It's not a matter of if it's a matter of when it happens. Really? Yeah. We've talked about it on, on the show on, Oh, I think I've mentioned it on the show before. It's just something I find completely, um, like it's mind blowing to me, you know how long Rome lasted as a civilization. Oh yeah. Like how long they made it before like the corruption, and then like and what 
And then you look at Rome, even what ended Rome was going from the the days of the Republic into the days of the basically dictators. There's a different word for it, but right. But it was a shift to more and more authoritarianism. And then you talk about how they devalued their own currency because I forget what they used, but at the start of the Roman empire, it was like a little over 90% of the coins they used, like the coin itself, like over 90% of its content was silver. But by the end of the Roman empire, it was, less than 10% silver. And then it got to the point where they people realized how useless they were. The government declared all the coins invalid tender for use in transactions. And then they declared that only gold coins would be applicable for such transactions. That was another big thing that just sort of happened throughout the course of it. They just slowly but surely devalued their currency until it was essentially fucking worthless. Which it's funny, like, we don't even think of those, we don't, like, when we talk about these ancient civilizations, we don't even, I don't think I've ever, I I think, I don't even think I've ever thought of, you know, Roman currency and how the collapse of their currency led to the eventual collapse of their mighty civilization, but now, like, that's, that's the first indicator of a civilization's collapse, like, your money is worth nothing. Right. It's like, oh, your life savings that was worth... I'll throw out a figure here. I mean, it's all relative whenever we're getting into the hypotheticals of it. It's, oh, your life savings worth $2 million. You wake up, imagine waking up the next day and it's worth 20. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> okay, I got it. Okay, my th- this thing, I got to go take care of this thing. Okay, do your thing. Okay, I'm back. Okay, welcome back. Sorry, I, she fucking the things like hard like so the things like hardwired into the 12 volt backup power system, so you can't just take the batteries out of it. So she just threw a piece of duct tape over the front of it so it'd stop going off. <laughs> I have the right to die of CO2 poisoning in my own house. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> See, in South Africa, you wouldn't even have a house to die of CO2 poisoning in. It wouldn't be CO2. CO2 is carbon dioxide. Or, yeah. My bad. You're right. Carbon monoxide. CO2 is what's in your soda. CO. I'm sorry. CO. Yes. Carbon oxide. (laughs) No, carbon monoxide. Carbon oxide. Sounds like some shit they'd build like a chassis of a Pagani out of. Yeah. I love those <laughs> God. Anything with oh. anything with uh full fiberglass rims just sounds like a bat oh my god, it's going off again still. Jesus. 
Ruining the podcast. Fuck it. She'll deal with it. You can't hear it on the, you can't hear it on your end, can you? Yeah, it's beeping a little bit. It's not like overwhelming, but I can hear it in the background. Okay. <laughs> it just kind of sounds like you're at an airport and you walk through a metal detector and you're a little browner than they'd like, so the air marshal's chasing after you now. Interesting uh, development at the Burlingame house tonight. And by the Burlingame house, he does mean the LAX. Yes, it's because I'm a little brown. <laughs> oh. So, kind of an unnatural segue, but an opinion article I found on the Huffington Post earlier that I found interesting. It's titled, When Undocumented Youth Are Banned from College, the Entire Nation Fails. What are your thoughts on that? Just at face value. Uh, at face value, um, there, there's there's two things. Two things. One, why, like, one, we should have stronger borders to where it isn't even a problem. Right. Like, like that doesn't have to be a problem. And two... I don't. Re- I think that that's a bit of a stretch to say that the nation would fail because of that. Right. I agree wholeheartedly and completely. And this article, albeit you know, it is in the opinion section of Huffington Post, but you were talking about your views on it, how immigration shouldn't be a problem, and then you were questioning how big of a drain it would really be if undocumented youth were banned from college. And like I said, this is in the opinion section of HuffPo, to be fair, but it is also a featured article at the moment. So, uh, and I, I can't necessarily how, how say this is I wonder how many people that read HuffPo are like, oh, like they wouldn't share the same sentiment. Like they wouldn't be like, yeah, it's just an opinion article. They're like, oh my God, this is the, this is what I, like I wonder, like I feel like people that read HuffPo, they read these articles and they're like, this is what I have to believe now. This is what this is what the left this is what my leftist overlords want. This is what they want me to believe. Right, exactly. Now, financially they try and get into the numbers a little bit and it says that there are Let's see here. Where is it? I got it right here. The Institution on Taxation and Economic Policy estimates that the 1.3 million young undocumented immigrants enrolled in or immediately eligible for DACA contribute an estimated $1.7 billion a year in state and federal taxes or in state and local taxes nationally. Excuse me. Now, let's get into that because $1.7 billion, yeah, that's a big number. But when you divide it by $1.3 million, the number you get is about $1,400, $1,416.66 repeating, to be exact. Um, that doesn't really seem like someone's really cutting a check to build a hospital out of these people. <laughs> I, think that, I think that I contribute more than that. Yeah, I'd like to say I do as well. Um, Actually, I'm going to say I know that I do. Yeah. By a lot. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, let's see here. There's another quote in here that I found really interesting. So we've already got that established, that 
of the 1.3 million young immigrants that are in or immediately eligible for DACA, they contribute about one point or they contribute about $1,400 to their state and local taxes on average. And obviously that's going to vary by state and what area they're in within the state, just because tax rates vary, but that's just a flatline average. It's a nice number to work with. Um, now something else I find interesting further on in the article it says the segregation of young people in Georgia also violates international human rights law and diminishes the state's credibility in the international arena. Georgia's admissions ban violates Article 26 of the Universal Declaration of Human Rights of 1948, which protects the right to higher education based on merit rather than social status. Are they considering citizenship social status at this point? Okay. All right. So you think there are two sides? Yeah. The the other side of this coin is is we often like okay. So a lot of a uh, lot of lot of things about to come out here. Okay. So for one, they came here illegally already. Now, if they were children, I do understand the sentiment that maybe it wasn't necessarily their choice. Maybe their parents brought them here. That is definitely a sentiment. They didn't have the choice to come here, but they're here now. And if they are already here and they're trying to make something better of themselves and actually going to college and possibly becoming someone that could be a positive on society. I don't necessarily know if that, I don't necessarily think that that is a bad thing. I've almost always, I think I've in the past, not on the show, but when I've worked through this in my head, had the sentiment of if they do come here, and they're going to college like they're actually doing something good and they could benefit society with that then maybe oh, those, certainly. that is the people those are in, even in our own words it's like well we only want the fucking best people to come here yeah they're not coming here legally but they're already here so if they're going to college then they're obviously doing a lot more than you know a lot of other people yeah no and i'd agree with that sentiment as well but it's trying to create a solution to a problem that shouldn't exist in the first place. I agree. If we just had secure borders, it wouldn't be a problem. Right. <laughs> which is the, which, really which the... I mean, that, yeah, that's, I mean, that's the premise. Like that's the whole thing. It's like, if we had secure right. borders then we wouldn't have to worry about this shit. Yeah. That's really the crux of the entire argument is whenever you say, there are 1.3 million people, just young immigrants, 1.3 million that are eligible or enrolled in the DACA program. Like 1.3 million is a pretty substantial number of people. That's probably how many people starve to death in South Africa today. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, I guess the world has a weird way of balancing out, but you think about it and you say, okay, that's just the young ones. So you go across and what's the estimation of how many undocumented immigrants are in this country? I've heard as high know? as third. I've I've heard on a very uh, liberal scale, and I don't mean liberal in the term of like conservative and liberal. I guess I do, but like just referring to numbers on a very liberal scale of the number, um, as high as thirty million. Yeah, I've heard the thirty million figure. That seems a little high. The number um, that the number that gets talked about a lot more is about fourteen, I think. Right, fourteen million. Now, if that's the case, that means that that's about mm, that's about four or five percent of the population in America. 
in the United States, that's not an insignificant amount by any stretch of the imagination. I think that's about the same as the Asian population. Where are you, where, where are you going with this? My point being... People here? Huh? Uh, like, like, are you just saying there's a lot of illegal people here? I don't get what you're... Yeah, my point being that, again, it just goes back to this is a problem that shouldn't exist. I don't think oh, that... Oh, okay. Yeah, because, you know, you talk about 14 million... Like we'll say any we'll say somewhere I've heard as low as ten and as high as thirty. So yeah, probably somewhere in that fourteen million range, being realistic. Um that is here illegally. Now, I don't know necessarily that we have the infrastructure to support that long term if it keeps coming in at the rate that it does. So whenever people say we just need to uh just grant them all citizenship, um I'm all I'm not for that. I, 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 like, I say, like, I say to fix the problem right now, everyone that's here, grant them citizenship. Go ahead. They're already here. You're not going to fucking round them all up and fucking deport them. It's just logistically impossible for one. So, like, just, like, do away with that. Do away with that problem. But then actually, like, the only solution, like, like the DACA thing, I'm like, I'm like, yeah, like, let them all, let them all stay. That's fine. I'm okay mm-hmm. with that. They're already here. Let them stay. See, I feel like there. I feel but, like there should be a few more. I feel like there should be a few more caveats to it. I'm not saying deport every single one of them, or even probably, not even deport most of them, but I feel like there should be a couple of sort of asterisks to put next to it before necessarily granting citizenship to all of them that are already here. Um, I mean, like if you're a gang member or whatever, then yeah, like yeah, yeah. Um, I'm not like sure at what length you do it, but you have to, like, submit them to a criminal background check. I'm not saying, you know, if they have a speeding ticket, kick them out. But, you know, any felonious activity, at least be weary of um, people who are already working, who have been here already, let's say, what, like, I think if you're already here five years, that should probably immediately grant you. At that point, you're probably pretty well settled in. To fix the problem, I think the simplest, most concise way to fix the problem would be, you know, aside from the criminals, if you're if you're a heinous criminal, and like you said, not like a fucking speeding certificate, not just like, oh, you had some weed or whatever, you know, like, if you're like a fucking, if you've like robbed somebody or like fucking kidnapped or raped or murdered somebody or some, you know, bad shit like that, then yeah, mm-hmm. you got to go back. But everybody else, you know, just let them stay. But when you do that, you're, you're like the expectation there is you have to fix the problem. You have to secure the border after that. And if you don't, then you're, then, I mean, then we're open borders at that point. Right. Like I'm, I'm okay with letting the people here stay just because it, it is logistically impossible to round them up. And not that I even think that they necessarily should be like, I, I don't, I don't like the idea of just rounding people up and sending them back after they've made a life here. Cause there are a lot of people that are probably illegal that have made a good life here. And if they were legal, oh, certainly. and if they were legal, they'd actually be contributing, you know, tax wise and stuff, but they're probably getting around that cause they're paid under the table, this and that, and they're not contributing to taxes and stuff. Oh yeah, absolutely. I'm not going to deny that for a moment. So everything you said sounds pretty agreeable. So did we just solve immigration yeah, I think I think I've I've said that like the the whole DACA thing. Like I think in episode like two or three, I was like, yeah, let them stay, but like 
fucking close the border, secure it. Like, don't let this keep happening. Like we can fit this problem so easy to fix. Like it's either, there's only two, there's only two solutions to this problem. The only solutions to the immigration crisis are secure the border or completely open it. There's no in between. In between just leads us to where we're at now with an immigration crisis where you're like, well, it's illegal and you know, you got to go back. But like, why, how are they still getting here? Like, let's actually fix the problem. And I, and I'm not ever going to agree that open borders is the solution to that problem. No, not while we have the comprehensive welfare state that we do in the United States. It certainly isn't. No. And I mean, if you want to get rid of the welfare state, then by all means, then yes, let's let them come. Like, then you ban- yeah. Then the best people will stay, and the people who aren't that good will leave. Yeah, like you have no choice. Like you have to like fucking survive. And I'm not saying, and we've talked about it before. I'm not saying abolish the welfare state. I'm just saying like let's 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 trim it down a little bit. Let's get it to where it needs to yeah, be. Yeah, there's certainly it's it's looking a little plump. Well, let's get the people that actually need help help, and the people that don't need the help. Let's maybe get them off their ass and get them motivated a little bit. I love it how uh, when people say like, "Oh, you just got to bootstrap it. Just pull yourself up by your bootstraps." It's like, yeah, actually, fucking do that, you motherfucker. Like, actually, do that. Yeah. Like, give it a try yeah. for once and tell me what happens. Like, if you actually decide to like not be a piece of shit and try to work for something, tell me what happens. I bet it's not going to be bad. Yeah, exactly. If you put a little bit of motivation, so, a little bit of effort, a little bit of discipline into something, you're going to be a lot better off. Humans need that fucking struggle. Like that like mm-hmm. thrive on that shit. Like you know nothing good's ever came out of some like bullshit. Like it, it's just not how it works. It's never been how it's worked. And so yeah, like when you say like, "Oh, just pull yourself up by your bootstraps," and you say it like all sarcastically very condescendingly yeah condescendingly like like it's not possible it's like no every person in america that's made something of themselves has fucking done that so don't fucking act like it it, it's 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 insulting to people that have worked their asses off and it's insulting to people with goals that actually aspire to things that actually work for goals and are motivated you're you're insulting them and it's disgusting and you're a fucking parasite you are a fucking parasite on society, and you're affecting the rest of society. You're not helping anybody. You're only hurting people because you're robbing them of their fucking motivation, which is like the best fucking thing that the human spirit has to offer is motivation and discipline for a goal. And on that note, I believe we've wrapped it all up. I am your host, Brad Hartshorn, joined as always by Blake Burlingame. You can find us on Facebook at Dangerous Freedom. We are also on Instagram at The Dangerous Freedom. You can follow us on our personal accounts. We can give you the 411 on what's going on for upcoming shows or if you want to be a guest. You can find Blake Burlingame as Blake Burlingame on both platforms. On Facebook, you can find me as Brad Hartshorn. And on Instagram, I'm the reverse as Hartshorn Brad. If you like this, be sure to check us out. We are on iTunes and Google Play. And are we on Spotify as well? Uh, we are not on Spotify. Okay. I wasn't sure. Yeah, we're, uh, I covered all the- we're yeah. on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Google Play. Yeah, under the dangerous yeah. kingdom. And on that note, I'm Brad Hartshorn. And I'm Blake Berlingame. Thank you guys for listening. Have a good night.